The title of my message is More and More. More and More. And I'll get to that now. I want to say that we all have a history. If you're 15 years old, you already have some stories to tell. Like my son, he's 15 years old. He's beginning to collect stories. And, and um, you, you, make, you collect stories and you, you build up uh, a view of the world. We, we've had this, um, this tradition. Some, some, now and then I slip up on that, but mostly. I try and go to my children's room and then I pray for them. Sometimes when they're asleep. I pray and I say, God, just start preparing their husbands or their wives, wherever they're at, work on them now. Whoever is their parents, because it doesn't help you praying 20 years from now, that child's 20 years old then. You've got to pray now for their parents. Whoever God, know, God knows what's going to happen. Whoever their parents is, wake them up now. All right, so we all have a frame of reference. We have um, a model from which we do life. You think you're not your parents. And the older you get, the more you, you realize that you have some of their quirks and their natures. And, their, and some of you are so anti your parents that you become the exact opposite of that. You're not your parents, but you still have, that's still a way that you operate. It's just, it's, it's, we copy what we see. And, we become, and, and that's why I think marriage is difficult because you go into marriage and Chanel and I, in the beginning, I looked at a passport and I said, wow, your old surname. So you don't want to be married to me anymore. I said, okay, that's a drastic jump from, I just haven't had time yet. Oh, well, your old surname, you should be proud. I mean, it's, you should be paying for the surname. And we would joke like that. I would constantly ask her, so how do you feel about being a grobler? Do you feel it yet? Because you come from two different worlds and the, the two worlds is merging and, 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 and it's difficult because you come with that way, way of doing things. What we're doing as a church, we don't have too many examples because there are not too many churches that's trying to do it this way. We, we, are, we are pioneering. Uh, we are working, we're as a church that said we're working primarily for young people. We don't have a youth ministry, for instance, which is contrary to the, um, the way the churches usually does this. We don't have a youth ministry. We are the youth. We will probably do something on youth day, but I don't know who to invite because we don't have a youth. We are the the youth, and now you say, some of us are older. No, you're youth. So we all have a way of doing things, and we think it's the right way. And what makes that difficult is that because we've grown up and we go to normal schools, some of us, some of you may have gone to private schools, lucky few. Uh, sometimes I, I heard that there are private schools out there that's hundreds of thousands of rands per year. I don't know if we have people that went there. Then you have people that's gone to office. That, that's, I'm just going to stop that there. Uvijel of us in office. Aliseo. Stefanini. Uvijel office belt on volgens ons. That's so funny. It still stays funny. And then you, but yeah, you, most of us came from normal schools, normal, normal schools. And in the normal schools, you have normal life happening and it's tough. And that begins to develop your frame of reference. And the dominant culture in South Africa, the way that South Africa is doing things, don't think it doesn't affect you. The, the reason we have Gen X or baby boomers, 
Gen Y, Gen Z now, is because all these generations are different. All of them are different. They are different because their environment takes something different out of them. There's a generation whose parents were actually um, on the border of South Africa fighting in a war. How many of you have parents that's been there? All right. How many of you who raised your hand have yourself been in a war? Okay. That's quite a difference if you have to go to the army. We missed it. There's just generation just in front of me had to go to the army. You had to sign up and you were in an army and you, that's a different life. After matric, you go to the army. Then we come out of school and we don't get to go to the army. Thank the Lord Jesus for not having sent me to the army. Army for me is raising kids. It feels like I'm in the army. But, but that changes us. And so that, all of these things has an effect on us. And we begin to form a view of the world which we say this is our normal. And it's not, doesn't make it right because everybody does it. It just means that you're comfortable doing that over and over. I'll explain it better. When I went to start exercising at the CrossFit, I don't know why God made it this way. CrossFit is a cult. And we love it. <laughs> why do people have an issue? <laughs> I'm going to stop my jokes. But, but exercise is a very good metaphor for life. When I went there and you had to do a squat or you would take a bar. Me, I was on the PVC pipe for like a few weeks. You would take out the bar and you wouldn't show them you know, that you're straining to pick up a 20 kilograms bar off the rack. You walk like it. And after the exercise, you until you begin to bulk up and get a little bit better. But the first few times that you do the exercise, it feels completely uncomfortable. Because you're having the bar, if you're trying to clean the bar or whatever you're trying to do with it, you look stupid. Because you're not used to it, you haven't done that. But if, if you've been there for about seven years, and you keep on exercising, and you begin to get used to the movement, then you can start acting like, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. Because it feels natural, but to the guy who hasn't done it, it doesn't feel natural. But what we do is we take our events in life, right or wrong, just because we repeat them, it begins to feel natural. Because it feels natural, we assume it's right. Doesn't mean it's right, it just feels right. If you, it, it becomes muscle memory, and because your muscles are used to that movement, it feels right. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it's... So if you, if you have muscle memory in playing a sports, um, for me, it's being a ninja. It's, you won't tell because we're so fast, but there's just reflexes that says fast. It's muscle memory. Now, it, if you train your muscles incorrectly, if you begin to play golf and you learn a swing... And there's a certain way that you learn that swing and it's incorrect and nobody showed you better. But you get the ball down the green somehow with that stupid swing and you look like an idiot. You can get training, but it's very difficult to unlearn what your muscles has told you is normal. It's very difficult to unlearn that and get. So you have to get somebody to consistently correct it until that correction replaces that which felt normal. Until the new way of doing it begins to be the normal and the old way begins to feel uncomfortable. Some of these guys that has gotten so used to throwing a basketball through a hoop can do it so well that they have to actually try and miss consciously. They don't miss the ball because they, they have to actually, they're so good at that one way of doing it. They've practiced it so well 
and had coaches doing that. In swimming, you would think that swimming is easy. Swimming's not easy. You get in, all of us swim like this, like a 45 degree angle, and we can't understand why we can't float. There are other peoples, peoples, who get their feet up and they swim like dolphins. I don't know how they move like dolphins through the water. The, you need a coach to help you figure out that you're doing certain things wrong. Does it make sense? We have things in life that we think is right, but is not right. And most of us think that we are standing out because we do one thing different than the world. We begin to stand out by being successful in business. And then you sort of think that you're now really beyond your peers, but you're only beyond them with a couple of thousand rand if you take it to money. But you, you act different because now you can go on holidays and they can't. And so you quiet down. You don't want them to feel bad. And so you don't tell them what you do and you, you begin to form different groups, but you really don't stand out. There isn't the gap between you and your school peers are not that big as in you're with the president of the United States and they're just staying in Montana. The, the gap's never that big. And we think we've made major differences. We have norms and then we, in that norms, there are brackets. And some of us are at the bottom of that bracket and some of us are on top of that bracket, but the, we're mostly all in the same line of life. We have unspoken rules which we follow in society. The way we drive through traffic, the way we hoot at one another, the way we respond to people who can't drive cars. A lot of these are things that we've normalized in life. Makes sense, all right? Based on that, God comes into our world and he begins to tell us that you are supposed to be different. Go with me to Thessalonians, Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Finally then, brethren, poor, uh, is it Paul? Yep. Paul says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. There's the word more and more. You should abound more and more. So Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, listen, we spoke to you. You know how you ought to live. Now we get to a place where I expect from you to do that more and more. We serve a more and more God, not a less and less God. We serve a more and more God. He comes in the story of the parables uh, of the talents and he says, he is like a guy who, uh, a king that came and gave one guy one talent, one guy two talents, and the guy five talents. And he comes back to see what the guy did. What did you expect him to expect? What do we expect him to expect? The one guy who had the one talent expected him to expect nothing. He was wrong and corrected. God came in the story. He is the master that gives out, gives out the talent. He expected more from the two talent guy and he expected more from the five talent guy and complimented them on their more, not on their less. Much of society is sucking out of us the desire for more, and we are placed in complacency 
and taught to be happy with little and expect less. We, we've reduced the standard in school so that more people can pass. We've, we are beginning to become comfortable with these things. Paul writes this letter and he says, listen, brethren, Paul is very specific to whom he's writing this letter. He's not writing it to the people outside of the church because he calls them brothers. That word tells us that he is he's referring to a people that are saved. And he's giving the instruction of more and more to you who is supposed to understand. He says to them, brethren, we urge and exhort. We urge you and we exhort you. Exhort is, is a big word for saying I'm, I'm very serious now. Pay attention. Listen to me and do it. More. Uh, in the Lord, that you should abound, increase more, increase more, and more. So it's not just a measure of being more, it's being more and more. In other words, when you begin to serve God, you should take a stock count of where you are in Christ, and then God looks at that and says, more. Some of us are trying to figure out, how can I stabilize everything? God is not wait, waiting for stability and comfort. He's saying, okay, more. And more. He says, I need you to do more and more. Just as you receive from us on us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know that the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we taught you through Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. He says, for the will, this is the will of God. That your sanctification that you should abstain from. And he goes through a whole list of what you should abstain from. The word more and more happens again. Let me see which verse. Because I'm reading for the Bible now. Um, I don't know where I put it. Then he comes to verse 11. This is what I want to get to. Let's read from verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you brethren. So he's talking about love and brotherly love. That you increase. Use the words again. More and more. So in terms of brotherly love. When do we arrive? When you, when you think. When you, we think. Because of the norms. And the template which we have to do life in. When we talk about brotherly love, most of us relate to that verse in biological family love. Brother and sister. God is not talking about that because he asks who is your family. He's, they say to him, Jesus, your mom's outside. Your sister's outside. He says, who are they? Who's my family? Those that do the will of my father, those are my family. Those are my brothers and sisters. He says, now... Concerning brotherly love, I would that you increase more and more. When do we arrive at the way through the love that you have for one another? That's how they will know that you are my disciples. And Paul is saying to you, I urge you and I exhort you. And he continues this more and more. I want you to abound more and more. And then he begins to dwell down. He talks about sexual immorality and all these things that you should not get involved in. That God will not leave you unpunished so much for grace. It's Paul talking. Who teaches us about grace and at the same time says if you continue in these things don't think you'll be left unpunished and then he gets to the point where he says when it comes to brotherly love i need you to do it more and 
more. God wants more. Talking about this, just reflecting out loud, um, I want to finish my message, so I'm not going to skip it. So let's try and keep to my notes. Ephesians 6, 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Whatever you're struggling with in your life, here is the one thing that often takes our, our attention that is not God. One of the things that most people spend their lives at fighting, which the Bible tells us you're fighting the wrong thing, is flesh and blood. Very few people have an issue with the systems that govern their lives. I'm gonna walk this thing out, is that okay? Let me finish it. Very few people have an issue with the systems that drives their financial lives. They blame people. So they wrestle, another translation, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but again, so I'm gonna finish the sentence now. We wrestle not. Most people wrestle people because they have a lack of results. The Bible says you shouldn't wrestle them, you should love them. In other words, if you would, 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 would connect the dots, you should wrestle them less and less. Love them more and more. Because they are not the problem. There is not, your parents may not be perfect, but they're not the problem. Your children may not be perfect, but your children's not the problem. The school teachers you have, university professors you have, your boss may not be perfect, may not be good, but he is not the problem. The problem is not the people in your world, it's the systems that govern your world. It's the belief systems, your worldview, your template for doing life, that's the problem. And because your template is not working, you're looking for people to replace, thinking that if you could replace them, the template would work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. He is not, flesh and blood include, dis, disqualifies rulers. He's not talking about the government. He's talking about spiritual rulers. Rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the powers of this dark world. In other words, he is saying the norms you've made your customs is set in place by the rulers of this dark world. What you call norm, what you've taught yourself to feel normal in might not be godly. Now, because that feels right, but is not working, we're not approaching the right thing. We're attacking the wrong thing. We blame people for not working where we ought to work. We've, we've gotten used to certain movements. It feels so right, so it can't be that. And because something feels right, we assume it must be God. We don't think we've gotten used to the wrong thing. I wonder how much of our lives is lived in a standard because we haven't been exposed to a different standard. You get, we're coming. Because we haven't seen better yet, we don't expect better. You come from a house where your dad may have punched your mom. Literally. Or you are on the other side of that equation and you come from a house where your mom punched your dad. 
or they had arguments all the time, or they didn't have, all of that sets you up for what to expect from life and how you as a child went through 18 years of that and now have realized that this is my normal. And now you get into a marriage and you repeat that because that's your normal. And you haven't been exposed to something different. The Bible has an answer. He says the darkness of this world. He, the words used here is against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces, evil. This dark world, it's a dark world in which we live. Everybody is in their ease thrown into this darkness. And in our comforts and what we have grown, grown used to, we don't realize it might be darkness. The Bible has a different answer to this. He, he gives us a response. He says in Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. When Ephesians, when that word scripture I read to you says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world. In Matthew, he gives us the answer. He says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city, not a person, a city. Not a person, a city. Is that scripture on the screen? Matthew 5, verses 14. You are the light of the world. He's talking not to an individual, he's talking to a people. A city that is set on a hill. If I were to, that cannot be hidden. If I were to take a light and my cell phone, pass me on my cell phone, I were to put on the light. If I were to, can, can we, I don't know if we should make it, I don't have that much time. Switch off the lights, please. Well, that's as dark as it's going to get, right? He says, you are a city on a hill. Well, now it's dark. <laughs> the church wants to be humble because the world taught you that humility is you hiding. So we put the light here. And we come to our own world on a Sunday. We escape the real world out there. That the, Well, it's not the real world. It's the other world. We, we hide from it here on a Sunday. And our light shines here in this room. He says, no, you are like a, a, you, you are a light, a city on a hill. It's supposed to be lifted up. What we do is we're supposed to be lifted up. That your good works may be seen by everyone. But we don't want to do that because that's not humility. The moment we start talking about the good things that God is doing, people go like, you're not humble. Uh, keep the lights off. I'll make my own light. The question is, under what light are you standing? The light of the world, which is darkness, or the light of God's and some of us are not able to submit. We're not under any light. We want to be above the light. We don't, we don't want to be taught nor told. We want to tell. And sometimes we, we, we position ourselves in the wrong place under the light. Switch the lights back on, please. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill 
that cannot be hidden. This is in Matthew. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The church is supposed to be a city on a hill. Now Matthew 28, 19 says to you, go into all the world. Most people don't want to be in the church, they want to go. But here is one scripture that says the church is not supposed to always just go. It's always, it's sometimes supposed to just be. A city, what you have, it's not a vehicle that's driving over a hill. It's a city on a hill. A city is sort of stationary. When, when the lights are out, you all have experience with this. When the lights are out, the robots are out. When there is no lights, electricity, and there's no lights at the robots, the car starts slowing down. When you drive through neighborhoods that has no street lights and the street lights are off, it becomes eerie and, and scary and you drive slower. You can't see hidden dangers because when you hit, when somebody uh, jaywalks or runs over the road and you, and you drive in the night, it's more easy to hit that person than it would be under light. We can't see threats. When a vehicle doesn't have its lights on on the highway, a lot of people has lost their lives this way, driving into trucks that don't have light because there's no light. Under darkness, everything is a problem. But the Bible says the church, you, you are a city that is built on a hill whose multiple lights, because a city doesn't have just one light. What's amazing, if you fly over large cities, and you, you look out the airplane window and you see it, you can see it. And some cities like Egypt, for instance, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. The size of those cities and the lights that shine. It's not one person. Because if it's one person, it's a guy sitting in, de in the desert vaping. <laughs> Downloading. USB stick. <laughs> it's multiple people being a light. And so a church is supposed to be like the, 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 the children of God is the universal church, but the local church is supposed to be that light source, the lighthouse, a place where people come and they see something that when they leave this place, it challenges their muscle memory. It's supposed to create a contrast between their world and our world. We are not of this world, although we are in the world, we are not of this world. We are from a different world, but can people tell? Can people tell that we are of a different world? If we criticize like them, if we merely survive like them, if our children perform like them, and if the results are the same as them, are we lying to ourselves that we are a city on a hill? When it says you're a city on a hill, it's not just in goosebumps. Because we get to deal with a multitude of people. We counsel a multitude of people. When our depression looks the same, then it's not in the material things, it's even in the spiritual things. Our depression looks the same as them. Our medication looks the same as theirs. Our children perform the same as theirs. Our marriages look the same as theirs. Are we a city on a hill that when you drive past in the darkness that you can look up and it shines even more bright? The thing about a light is the more darkness you have, the more easily you'll see the light. If the church is a city on a hill, people should look at us for answers how to raise children. 
But when the church fails at that, we come to church on a Sunday, we don't get the answers we should because we expect the pastor to help my child that's in you kids. We don't get the answer. So we take this Christian child to a secular psychologist. And we ask this guy who is in darkness. Now I don't believe in God, it's fairy tales. Please sir, help me help my child. It's a Christian child. Ja, dis miskien omdat jy ons soveel kerk toevat. When we want financial advice, we don't turn to the Word of God. We turn to secular industry, ask people who want nothing to do with God, but we want to be the city on the hill. Paul says, no, you should do what you do more and more. There should be a contrast by the way that you do it. The way we show up to church should be so outstanding. The quality of what we expect from our church should be so high. Not critical, but aware and saying we can do better. The way we treat one another should be of such standard when people look at that and go like, how do you do that? It's easy. It's God. God is in this place. What she says, you are a light of the world, the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do, do they light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see the good works, you, to see your good works. Shine a light that they would see your good works. The church says, no, no, no. Your, your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand is doing. No, hide it. We promote things as if it's good works when it's not good works. When I promote how many people like my Facebook page, <laughs> that's not light. If I can increase the numbers of attendance, it's a measurement of our success, but that's not light. That's not the good works we should be promoting. That's just good marketing. We're not supposed to promote good marketing. What are the good works that people should see in us that's very, creates a very sharp contrast between what is outside of the light, because God says He is the light of the world, come into the world, and we've made that light in us, and so now we begin to shine, and collectively this light is a city on a hill. When that contrast is there, the way we do things, when people look at us, they should say, hmm. Stephen, I'll, I'll try and end with this. Stephen, the disciples had the Greeks and I think the Hebrews arguing about their wives or their, their family not getting food distribution. So the 12 apostles comes together and says, we shouldn't be about managing this business. We should be about studying the word of God and preaching the word of God. We're not going to manage this. Let's appoint a couple of, they said, okay, get us eight guys who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not apostles, not evangelists, not even the guys with the big platforms, nothing. Just get us eight guys filled with the Holy Spirit. One of them was Stephen. Stephen, so filled with the Holy Spirit, was doing so many good works, healing people, and just talking plainly, that, that he upset the whole region. Everybody in his region got so upset with Stephen shining that they picked up stones to kill him. They wanted to put out the light. They wanted to put out the... Are we a threat to the darkness around us? Or are we per perpetuating it in our marriages? Can we look at a mirror and say, this is not good? Because when we begin to do that, people shout out from the pews, abuse.
Who are you to judge me? So I shouldn't say that you're sitting in darkness. No, because it's offensive. Don't do that. Leave my darkness be. What's great about going out is we testify. That's evangelism. But what's nice about a city is we just be. Sometimes you don't have to preach. You just have to be. But when you be, make sure that your being is solid. That it's not fake. Some of us are pretending to be light. Our Instagram, if you look at it, you would think we're light. But when you get to talk to us, we don't find it so much. Where are we as a church making the city? A city is, is something that takes planning. A city on a hill. You are a light of the world. A city on a hill. A city is not something we just, you plan to build a house there and you plan to build a house. None of us can build a house where we plan. We have to submit plans. We have to get council approval. They have to build roads. We have to put in services. We have to make sure that when you flush your toilet, it works. Because your toilet should be connected to a bigger system. That's how a city works. If we're a city on a hill, we should all work together and understand that we are one body and we have this goal that when the world with all of their answers still fail, and turn left, there's that city. It should be an irritation in their eyes. The fact that the church is thriving under the oppression. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. Our marriages should look different. Our children should look different. I don't want my children to be normal. I don't want them. I don't want your children to be normal. I want them to be more and more. I urge you, brethren, to be more and more. I want my children to thrive and not hit an identity crisis when they turn 20. I'd be like, oh, get in the car, groot geworden. Uh. Now my children turn out that way. Because when they come home and they see their dad and their mom hate church, they go like, I don't want to go there. Look at my parents. Look at my buddy. His parents are drunk every weekend, but they're laughing. At least they're having fun. That's the darkness is more appealing than the light sometimes because we, we're doing it wrong. We should do better. We should do better. I should do better, Roland. Game would be at that. Fine. I can't fought it. It makes sense. We should do better. We're a city on a hill. Let's do one more test. I got, I'm over, they've changed the clock now. It's only orange when I go over time. It used to be red, thank you. Switch off the lights, please. Completely. Don't switch on your phones, switch off your phones. My light's on. You can see nothing. Can you all try and turn on your phones? Put it on top of your heads. It's much better than just me. I can see all your faces. This is what we ought to do. It's not just the pastor. We all have a responsibility. Leave it up there, leave it up there. With that corner on my right hand, that means that side. Switch off your lights. What, if, what happens if you have a different plan? Can you see where the light's at? You'll be attracted to this. Let's not do that. 
And what's amazing is we can sort of still see them because of our light. We can see where light needs to be added because we have light. That's how we ought to do it. God bless you. Put off your lights. Put on the lights. Thank you very much. Church, let's pray. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. It's not one person. It's not about the one person who has the brightest light. It's about am I yielding my life to be light? And am I saying, God, wherever you want to slot me in, put me there. And let your church be a city on a hill. When the world drives past that, let it see something else. Let it see you. God, you came into the world to come be light in the darkness. Help us follow you. And let us be used by you to bring light in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Put your hands together. We'll see you tonight. Stay safe as you leave church. Bye-bye.